Hi, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to the Who the Fuck Podcast. Inquisitive, authentic, unapologetic. A show designed to create connection, fuel compassion, activate change, and figure out just who the fuck you are. Hey gang, you're listening to the latest episode of the Who the Fuck Podcast. Our guest today is Christina McKittish, and we're going to be talking about Christina's passion for education and how it fueled her desire to deepen her connection with herself and others through the practice of yoga. Christina and I met my freshman year of college at orientation because she was one of our group leaders, and we also spent time together working on our school's literary magazine and annual art festival, I Heart Art. Welcome to the show, Christina. Why don't you share a little bit about yourself with our listeners? Good to reconnect with you. So I live in Boston, and as you mentioned, I'm a uh, classroom teacher, just a teacher in general. Um, I teach middle school social studies, and I have for 13 years. I also have taught yoga now for two years. And I found yoga after a really difficult time in my life where I was suffering from panic attacks and the panic attacks eventually led into depression and I really needed to find something to get myself back on track and yoga was something I just walked into a studio one day and basically never looked back. It gave me the space to understand what was going on in my life and with that in conjunction with a lot of other work that I did, it's helped me to feel better. I love to share about my journey with people because I think it's so important. And when I was in a really dark time in my life, I, I didn't really know if there was any way that I could get out of it. And so I like to share about how I got out of that dark time using yoga as a, as a vehicle. That's awesome. I'm really intrigued by how this conversation is going to go because we haven't caught up in a while and obviously there's depth to that response. I really appreciate you being open about the fact that yoga has been somewhat of a lifeline for you to help you overcome your anxiety and my wife suffers from panic attacks. I had my first couple uh, this past year and so I understand how debilitating that is and it's hard because you're often suffering in private when those things happen unless you are out in public when they happen. And when you're experiencing that, I know exactly what you mean. It's it, You feel like you're not going to come out of it. And until you actually experience it yourself, it's really hard to comprehend just how little control you have over kind of everything that's happening around you, like your body and your mental reaction to things. So it makes a lot of sense that yoga would be a way for you to address that. So what initially interested you in practicing yoga? You said you just walked into a studio and, and that was sort of it. Yeah. So I, I had always really liked the yogi lifestyle. Like I had always kind of noticed it from afar and been like, gosh, like those people seem like they have it all together. <laughs> but I, I never really knew how to actually like break into it. Um, so I, I did start by getting a couple of DVDs and doing it at home myself and then eventually moved into the studio is something that I think helps us to it it really helps to clear your mind because you're you're out completely of your element. You're in another space. And so it, it just helps you to disconnect from whatever's happening in your life and really helps you to focus on your mind and your body. Yeah, in that present moment, for sure. And I can totally understand where that makes sense because the times that I've done yoga in a studio is actually the first couple of times that I even did yoga. When I was there, I was super surprised how much I was able to focus on that moment. Like it was it was probably the only group class that I could go to because effectively you're so focused on yourself. That's exactly how you have to be to be able to be in those moments and, and to take in everything that yoga really has to offer. Yeah. And there's there's no real competitive piece either. There shouldn't be. That's right? what I run so into in other things. <laughs> me too. Me too. So in this, it's like you're, you're doing it yourself. It's you and your body and your breath. And the power in being together is just that you're all moving your bodies at the same time, yeah. like working together, but it's not about who is doing what. So you can really focus on yourself. That's such a cool perspective on it too. Like you were saying, the connection is that you're all moving and breathing at the same time and 
conceptually in the same way. And I actually was really intimidated the first time I went because I was nervous about kind of the perception of the yogi lifestyles you refer to it. I think I found it daunting because I'm not somebody who, I mean, for a long time, I'll be honest, I just boycotted yoga pants in general because I was like, I'm not going to do that. What are people doing right now? Sort of like skinny jeans for me. And now I'm like, I wear both. Why are people not just always wearing yoga pants is the question I have now. But well, now we are. Exactly. We're like, literally, that's all we wear now. Uh, but I think that there is much more of a sense of community and I think closeness and, and a lack of judgment that actually occurs in a lot of scenarios. And that's not to say there aren't yoga studios that are pretentious or people who practice yoga that are, are pretentious. But I had a very big misconception about it. I really felt like it was going to be a super judgy situation for me to walk into. And instead, it was this very calm, comfortable, like do what's right for you experience. And I actually felt really lucky because despite the fact that I like never stretched when I played sports when I was younger, I somehow have managed to be like sort of okay at yoga. (laughs) So it was like, oh, I can actually do this too. So even if I'm competing with just myself, I feel like I'm not as bad as I could be. So there's a bonus. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely intimidating. It's, and I say that to anybody who, who, talks to me about it. And I hear that from people. They, they're intimidated about the yogi lifestyle. Um, they think that they have to be like always be eating healthy and, you know, do wear the Lululemon clothing. And, and yeah. there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that, that you think you have to do, but truthfully, all that you need is a yoga mat and yourself. Yeah. That's all you need. Yeah, absolutely. And Holly's actually really gotten into it recently because she's um, suffered from chronic migraines for the past couple of years and they actually had a chronic um, illness uh, yoga class. So people would go and they'd do certain poses that would help. It was really beneficial for her and she got super into it. And I thought that was pretty incredible as well. Like it's not just sort of this pastime, you know, that people have, like, there's a real medical benefit to it. And that goes with the mind, body, physiological connection that I think historically has been really separate. But now we're starting to bring it together as a society. Yeah. And I I think we need it more than ever. For sure. And a lot of people say that to me, they they say, I need yoga. I'm just too scared to try it. Yeah. Um, and, And it is, it's one of the only that I can think of sport type exercises that incorporates mindful, purposeful breathing alongside your movements, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, it really is. I mean, well, I definitely can't do like purposeful breathing while I'm running sprints up a basketball court. Like, are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) So when you think about yoga, since there are just kind of so many preconceived notions about it, what does yoga really mean to you? And how do you try to emulate that in your practice? Hmm. So yoga is the connection of your mind, your body, and your soul. And that is just, it's a, that's a big statement. And it, and there's so much meaning behind that. So it's coming together, bringing all parts of yourself together as one, where I think we separate everything kind of like we were just talking about. We have like our physical bodies, our emotional bodies, this helps both to speak to each other. And I think that's where I felt relief from panic attacks because I think my my mind and my body were like working together and going crazy and, and they didn't know how to match up properly when I was having panic attacks. And now uh, the, the practice of yoga helps those two sides to talk to each other and, and linked by the breath too. So it creates um, more of a flow for how those things, well, the term that I was going to use because I've heard it in therapy a couple of times of the past several weeks is integration, right? It's your mind body mm-hmm. integration and really yeah. understanding how those things have to work together for you to be at your best, both physically yeah. and mentally. Yeah. And it, and it helps you to feel when I was having panic attacks, I, I had this feeling like I was just free floating in the world. Like I had no base, I had no anchor and yoga for me through that, that mind body connection, the breath, it helps me to feel like I'm grounded on earth 
just a helpful thing um, to just feel. Yeah, especially during a panic attack. I mean, like I said, until I really experienced something that was full blown and I was actually in the car like in the passenger seat when when I had my first like full-blown panic attack and Holly literally had to kind of like pull me out of the car when we got home take me upstairs and help calm me down like sort of you said like floating out in space there's nothing else around you the only thing that you have in that moment is the intensity of your thoughts like you're not having panic attacks because you're having a really euphoric moment it feels like you're by yourself and everything else around you has sort of disappeared and it's just you and whatever mm-hmm. you're fighting. Exactly. And you don't feel safe. Right. Exactly. And I, I, when I started going to yoga, it helped me to feel safer and safer in my body each time that I went. Yeah. And that's a really great explanation of it too, because I actually read an article about it this week that the biggest challenge with trauma is that it makes you feel unsafe in your body. It was something along those lines where in order to fully heal, you have to be able to feel safe in your body again. And what trauma does is it takes away that feeling of safety. And so until you experience that, it's really hard to communicate and help people understand what it's like. And it's a bit of a a double-edged sword because you don't want somebody else to go through it to be able to understand what it means, right? But Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. I do think if you've gone through it, whatever that may be, because there's obviously a spectrum of trauma, but like there's this idea that if you can tackle it, if you can put it out there, to use the therapy term again, if you can name it and then start to address it um, with your physical and mental approach in a more combined way, like you're talking about with yoga, then you stand a lot more of a chance of moving through that faster than if you hold on to it because your body is literally like weighing all of that or it's weighing your body down with all of that stress and that trauma. Like, did you feel like when you started yoga that you were almost immediately able to recognize a shift in your perspective on things and the way your body and your mind were working together or did it take you some time to get there? It was pretty immediate, but being able to tackle some of the larger things took a long time. So the the feeling of safety started almost immediately and this feeling of like, I want to feel that way again, so I want to go back. You know, with me, some of exercising, I'd be like, oh, I really just don't feel like doing that. Like I never wanted to go to do the exercise. Once I did it, I was fine. But with yoga, I was like, I need to go back there because this feels so good to me. And then there were, there would be times like each, you know, let's say each month I would kind of reach new understandings of what was going on with me. And and that was really powerful. It was hard. It wasn't easy to be discovering some of these things that I was feeling, but they weren't helping me being stuck the way that they were stuck and coming out through my panic attacks, you know? So it, it helped to like each time that I came, it was like I was in a big knot. And each time I came, I was able to unravel one of those little knots. I feel like that's a perfect way of describing how you feel when you're experiencing that type of trauma that impacts your body and then how when you do address it it's really scary at first like you said like you don't want to know these things and maybe it's not even that you don't want to know them you already know them you don't want to talk about them you don't want to show them because showing them means we're vulnerable and being vulnerable means we're weak right like that's how we've been conditioned to think about these things and one of the things that stood out to me a lot on your website is a Brene Brown quote when I started following her it was this moment for me where I was able to really identify some of the feelings that I had because somebody was talking them back to me and able to to communicate like, it's okay to feel this way and it's okay to talk about the fact that you feel this way. And so if we can just normalize that a little bit, then it will be less of a burden and we won't feel like we have to carry it for so long. What was the timeline between kind of you having these really dark feelings and these panic attacks before you actually ended ended up going to yoga and saying, I think I'm going to try this as a way of working on it? It was about a year, honestly. It took me a really long time to, you know, my, my panic attacks weren't happening every day, but my anxiety about having them was re- really ramped up, you know. I was the anticipation of it. It's it's worse than the actual y- yeah anticipation. Um, so I would say about a year before I was like, I got to get into the studio. Like I I want to experience it in a different way. Like I was trying 
many things. Like I tried, I read books about anxiety and panic attacks. Like I tried everything else. And then I was like, okay, let me try yoga. Reading about it, watching videos, paying attention to content is one thing. And I do feel that there's a lot of value in that for sure. It helps to be aware of these things and to understand ourselves a little bit more through that context. But when you read about things like how do you get through anxiety or panic attacks or or heal from trauma, there is no definitive timeline. There is no do this and eventually you'll be okay. It really depends how deeply rooted these feelings of anxiety are. And one of the things that has come up for me a lot is that connection to times in our lives that are completely unrelated to what we actually think the anxiety is about now. And I was convinced in my therapy sessions, I'm like, no, I'm not going back to childhood. Stop trying to bring me there. It's not about childhood. And then you're like, oh, yeah, it's totally about childhood. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So so I think part of the challenge is like we're conditioned to not want to talk about these things. And even you can be sitting in front of somebody, having them ask you, really exactly what you need to be asked and you still feel sort of buttoned up about it because god forbid we actually say what we're feeling and force ourselves to acknowledge that and from what you've said it sounds like practicing yoga also gave you the ability not only to open up like your body to this ability to take on what's surrounding you and follow your breath and be in that present moment but it allowed your mind to open up to the possibility of what what healing really means for you. Yes. And also being able to share it and say, look, this is, this was a part of my life and this happened. It doesn't define me. You know, for a while I, when I was having that anxiety, I was like, I am anxious. That's what I would say to myself. I am anxious, but that's not what I am. It's, it's something that I was feeling. Right. So I was letting it, letting it take over who I was and yeah, so I so now that I'm on the other side of it, I I also like to say it's not a weakness. I it's not a weakness that I felt that way. And so I want to make sure that I'm able to say that to people and say like you you're going to go through tough times and you're going to come out the other side of it. Well, cuz you can't anticipate those things too, right? I I feel in some ways it's better if you've grown up in a life where you haven't had to really tackle it because you've you've led let's say quote a good enough life that you haven't really had to tackle these really deep hard problems before, but it also leaves us kind of disarmed, right? Because we don't have the awareness or the capacity to just let those things out up front. And what you're talking about is the shame that's associated with something that is a feeling of anxiety, which is a completely natural human feeling to have. I mean, anxiety is there, fear is there to keep us alive. The problem is, is that we don't have the same stimuli that our anxiety and fear are telling us to react to. So we have these really, really big reactions to things that aren't life-threatening, but our brain and our body are telling us that essentially they are. Could we have evolved a little bit better than that? Yeah, yeah. but <laughs> that's where your breath comes in. And that's and that's what I'm able to even do it now off of the mat too, right? So on the mat, you, you do the breath and the breath matches with, you know, the body and mind. And then now when I feel like I want to have those big reactions that you were just talking about, now I'm like, take a breath. And that changes things. Like there are still times where I feel like, oh gosh, Christina, I could go down this road again. I could have a panic attack. The rabbit hole, I see it. Yeah, you know, and then, but it's like so weird because I see it and I'm like, yeah, I know I could, but I'm going to just breathe instead and I'm going to feel the earth beneath my feet. And so it is a natural thing. And there's also ways, I think, to, to handle it and yoga is a great way. It's not the only way. Um, it was the way for me to to bring me back. I'm so grateful for it. There isn't really a substitute for doing the work for yourself as far as the the mental and emotional commitment, obviously. But I think you can really align that with, for instance, the practice of yoga or something else that you do that is a mind-body experience in that way. But one of the things that really stands out to me about what you just said that I want to come back to is the breathing piece of it because I have very similar sensations when I start to feel anxious now or start to feel enraged about something that's out of my control. If I can nip it in the bud and I can feel it coming, then I can start to pay attention to how I'm reacting 
preemptively. And so I will coach my breath into that. And that's not even from yoga. That's for, that's from therapy, honestly, um, which is, I think, another thing for me that it's interesting to hear how closely related the, the practice of yoga is to actual techniques that therapists will use to help bring you back to that moment. And it's also very much about what do you feel in your body when you think about this? Where do you feel that anxiety? And addressing that and, and really paying attention to those physical components that accompany your emotional components. And I don't think that I would have made as much progress as I have in therapy if I wasn't speaking to people who told me to pay attention to that connection. So doing yoga wasn't the only thing that made me quote unquote better. I needed at, it was the, it was, as I mentioned, the the entrance for helping me to identify some of that knot I was in, but I needed to do so much other work in addition. So I went to therapy, you know, I made sure that I, I had during my darker times had just gone away from talking to people. So I needed to reconnect with the people in my life and just, you know, do a lot. I did a lot of journaling, writing, just trying to figure stuff out. And I would say it's not just one thing that's going to help to lift somebody out of a dark place. It's probably going to be many things and it's tireless hard work. I mean, I worked tirelessly for, I would say about three years where it was nonstop work. Some of it was tough. Some of it was exciting to figure out, but you just, you just have to keep working. And there were lots of times where I was like, am I ever going to figure this out? Like, am I ever going to get out of this? And again, I just would say, you just have to keep believing that you will and keep pushing forward. Um, Cause once you get on the other side of it, it feels so amazing. And that goes back to something that, that you said before too, about just being on the other side and and knowing and you start to see things differently, you treat people differently, you understand some of the things that people go through. You understand that every person has their own story and their own background and you know it's just it's just amazing. The more we discover ourselves, I I do feel that we have more empathy for others because you think about what you hold on to and if you can see somebody who's doing the work, you watch that transformation and you you can relate to it. And if you see somebody who's not doing the work, who might know that they need to do the work, doesn't want to do the work, doesn't think they need to do the work, like you can sort of see that too. You can see that they're holding on to something and that it's impacting their ability to respond in perhaps the, the best way for, for themselves or for others. Yeah. And I think not everybody is going to want to take that long journey it's a Maybe. it's a rough one. I'm not going to lie. I don't know that I want to be taking it. I just know it's the right thing to do. And I think some people, though, are some people, first of all, don't maybe don't even realize that they have to do it, which is for sure. fine. And some people know that they have to do it, but don't do it. And like that's for me where I, I knew I, I just from a very young age was very connected to my emotions and myself. I mean, I kept a journal since I was in sixth grade. So I've always known myself really well. I knew there was no way that I could live and be feel unhappy or feel in anxiety. I just wasn't wasn't going to live like that. So I took the journey. But I won't lie. Sometimes I'm like, gosh, I wish I could be someone that was like totally oblivious or just like doesn't care. Or complacent. Yeah, that's that's where I go sometimes to my God, why do I have to care about this? Why do I have to try so hard to make myself better? (laughs) I know. And I think it would be easy. But then I think about it and I'm like, oh, but it's just like there's no depth. (laughs) Right. And I right. No, it's true. And and I also feel like when I look at who I was a year ago, it was the end of March last year where things really started to unravel for us and we had a bunch of like really traumatic experiences in the last 12 months and it it forced me to look inward and really ask myself like why is this how I'm reacting how can I get out of it to your point like I I think that that's kind of the feeling that you get when you're in a really bad place as is or dark place you're like clawing at the walls trying to pull yourself out of it and it doesn't matter how hard you try and it doesn't matter what you do and it doesn't matter what anybody says to you you're just there and you're like anything anything at all help me get out of here and when I was finally able to look back at my journey over this past year 
I've grown so much because I was super, super intentional about it. It's hard for me to acknowledge things like that. I am just in general terrible at acknowledging when I, I've my own achievements and it makes me super uncomfortable. But like you, I've always been really in touch with my emotions. So I feel it. I might not be expressing it outwardly all the time, but I know that it's there and I can feel that growth. And, and it's just it is how I look at the world and it is how I look at myself. And so if you can get to a point where you're seeing the light a little bit differently and you are not afraid to unlearn things, then you have all the potential in the world. Mm -hmm. You had said at one point, you were like, is this ever going to work? Am I ever going to feel, quote, better? I often equate it to, I ended up having to go to physical therapy for a few months. And for the first couple of months, I was like, why am I even doing this? Like, it's, I'm barely doing anything. Like, I feel like I should be able to do more. Nothing feels better. And then all of a sudden, one day it felt like, oh, I think it actually was working. I know. It's amazing though, isn't it? Like one day it just happens. To tie it back to yoga, when you think about uh, being a newcomer and, and both when you were a newcomer and as a teacher, in your experience, do you feel that the calming of the mind is often a bigger challenge than the physical exertion of yoga? Because we, we do have so much kind of predisposition to go down these paths that have been defined already. I think definitely. I I think one of the things that is hard for people is that meditation side of yoga, which you actually don't find very often inside of an actual yoga class, but it is a part of a, the larger picture of yoga is to be able to meditate and calm the mind. So I would say that meditation for sure is, is very difficult. The kind of style that I, yoga that I do, it's vinyasa. Uh, flow and it's pretty it moves moves pretty quickly from pose to pose so I and there's not a ton of time for sitting still and meditating like the work is happening like the breath and the breath work and the physical mind work it's all happening but I don't I don't find that to be an issue in the kind of classes that I that I teach but I think in general the the meditation side of yoga you you will find a lot of people who are very resistant to that and they'll just say like i can't i can't i can't calm my mind like i don't think i could do it i can relate to that i i i mean for me in general like i can't calm my mind pretty much ever so in yoga felt really unlikely i was super surprised that i actually was able to calm my mind and then for whatever reason, and I'm grateful for this, I was able to pretty quickly connect my my mind to my breath. It's so amazing to be able to feel that moment of serenity. You described really perfectly that most people look at yoga and they think I have to be able to shut it down completely. And what people fail to realize is being actually able to practice meditation to the extent that I feel people perceive needs to be possible is something that takes years and years and years of practice for most people. It's not like you just all of a sudden are like, I don't want to think about anything. I'm just going to be in the moment and it's going to happen. Like, no, there's so many distractions. So how do you get to a place where you can bring that together, tone it down and allow yourself to appreciate the moment that you're in when your mind can't be completely quiet? Yes. Okay. Such a good question. That is your mind is going to wander because our minds wander. And the whole idea is bringing it back to center. And one of the ways that they talk about this in the teacher trainings is like, you have to imagine that your thoughts are like a little puppy that are wandering off, getting into trouble, and you just have to guide guide it back. Like with it's the relatable. kind of- <laughs> 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 with your dogs? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Both my dogs and my mind, but particularly yeah. the dogs. Yes. Like I need a leash for that. <laughs> yes. Yes. So and and when I think using the image of a puppy is helpful because you want to be kind and loving. You, it's like these thoughts are going to come up and you don't want to say, God, like I can never calm my mind. I'm so terrible at this. You actually want to say, OK, come back to center. Um and that for me has actually been the way that has opened up me feeling like I can actually meditate outside of yoga um, and actually sit and meditate because I'm like, oh, I don't have to have a blank mind. Like it, it's just about calming and coming to center. Um, yeah. And I, I also to go off your point about the um, 
yoga class. I think yoga has a little bit of a PR problem with like, (laughs) I love it. Like, you know, like who can do yoga? Like people think that you have to be flexible. People think you have to be young. People think you have to be thin. They think you have to be, yeah, flexible and doing all these crazy poses. And when we think of yoga, we think of these crazy poses that we see people doing. And that's not what it is at all. And I do think that if people as you and when you and Holly went to that class, you were surprised at how you were able to actually just blend in and get going with it. I think people will find that themselves if they just go to a class. And I and I will go off on another little thing here to say that sometimes you just have to have that courage to just go to a class or put it on the TV, get like YouTube put up, put up a video, see what it's about. Try it in your living room. Now try, go to a studio. Like there is that courage piece of like breaking in and getting there. Once you get there, I think a lot of people would be surprised at how much they like it and how much they can do it. Yeah. Those are all really super comments, especially the fact that they have, uh, that yoga has a PR problem. I think that's (laughs) hilarious. It's true. It's true. I, I think that, um, for better or for worse, the Instagram age and social media age is really driving people's idea of what it is. And so you see a lot of influencers with these quote, perfect bodies and everything curated to look and be a specific way. And that's not necessarily reality. It's not to say that you can't do those things or be that put together and still be an authentic person. You absolutely can. But I, I do feel like what you're saying, the perception of it is that it's, it's not really real. And it's sad because yoga in its nature is supposed to be about connectivity and calm. And like you said, it's like non-judgment. It's more about you for you. And you can practice together without that sense of comparison in a lot of cases. Instead, we look at it and we see like models who are going to make me feel bad about myself, people who are better at this and I'll never be able to do that. And all this negative self-talk. And so why would I even start? And so I, I feel like the way you just articulated that problem is we we convince ourselves that we shouldn't do it because we're afraid of what that will mean for us and what it will project back to us. And in mm-hmm. reality, what it will project back to us is what we put into it. So like you, you sort of, like you said, you have to get through that. You have to break through that and figure it out. And it doesn't have to be yoga. It could be anything, but specifically for yoga, it's just unfortunate because I think that the perception is now sort of the antithesis of what it actually is supposed to be about. Totally. Yeah. And I, and I just like to say, if you go into a studio, you could tell people, this is my first time. And those people, they should be like, welcome. What can I tell you about it? What do you need to know? They should be super welcoming and lovely about it. And if they're not, then that's actually their problem, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> for sure. I see it. I'm like, wow, that's like really terrible if you're not going to help someone who's new at something. But you know, just put yourself out there, say you're new, go in, go with a friend and see what happens. Yeah, for sure. And it's, I just had this moment of comparison to what it was like, uh, both times that I went surfing, but the last time I was in Maui, uh, like a couple weeks right before all this insanity started. And I, was hell-bent on going surfing. I'd gone five years ago when Holly and I got married and I wanted to go again. And I was like, I really need to just catch some waves because it was just the most cathartic feeling that I'd ever had. And it was so calm and brilliant and beautiful. And there is something for me that really parallels to yoga with the way you integrate your mind and your body into the whole experience. And then you add water to it and I'm all for it. Cause I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. see that be that good beach vibe I was talking about. is now coming mm-hmm. into play with all of that. But I was nervous, you know, I was really, I was like, I haven't done this in five years. I am now in my thirties. Like there's things have changed for me physically and mentally. So like, how really am I going to be able to do this? And the class had gotten canceled a couple times because there weren't really any waves. And I was super disappointed. I was like, this is the one thing I really wanted to do because I remembered how good it made me feel. Like I felt it in my body, how good it made me feel. And the first 
um, interaction that I had with the instructor was just super positive. And it was like, you know, we're going to see where you're at. We're going to try to like figure out where you're going to start and go from there. And I think that one of the biggest things for me was that comfort and that confidence in... (laughs) Sorry, my dog's just walked in and I'm just not even, I'm not going to try to redo that response. It's just, it is what it is. The the, the untamed puppies have come into the room. There they are. You have to lead them back out with loving exactly. kindness. Exactly. Does loving kindness sound like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> um, but anyway, all of that to say that I had a very similar experience with surfing as I think you, you had with yoga. And I feel like the older we get, the more risk averse we become. And so if we fall, we sort of want to take that as the, the answer. Yoga sounds like an opportunity for people to take that leap and, and try to find that peace on land. <laughs> yes, totally. Absolutely. I just read a book. Um, I'm also a history teacher, right? So I read a book um, about Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, and his belief is that the purpose of life, the whole purpose of life is to find happiness. I can get on board and with so, that. so, yeah. And like that we shouldn't be spending our time thinking about anything else, but what makes us happy and how can we get there? And I, and so that to me, what you just talked about with, um, surfing, it's like, yeah, like go after that. Or maybe like, maybe there's something that you might love to do that will bring you happiness that you haven't tried yet. Yeah. So totally. you've got to try these new things to get to that. I think we get bogged down by our jobs and all these other things. But like our goal is like, how can we find happiness? We do get bogged down in our our daily lives and we get comfortable with what is. And if there's one thing that I can really say about this sweeping pandemic is the fact that it's really forced me to think about what is it that I want to do that will make me happy, that will give me a sense of self and It can be a multitude of things. I mean, even just like little details coming back from Hawaii and bringing a couple of plumeria stems so I could try to plant them because I just love how they smell. And so, you know, trying to create the environment around you that will also promote your thinking to be more progressive in that way and to not and not be self-limiting, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm and not that planting flowers is this grandiose thing that requires such an like an effort, but you choose to do it or not do it. Personally, I will absolutely admit that I have gone down the path of I'm more comfortable not trying because God forbid I fail, right? But it's not about that. And it's not really about failing either. If you try something and you're brave enough to try something, regardless of what the outcome is, you're going to learn something. But we stop ourselves. We, we love to stop ourselves. I, I am 100% perfect at limiting myself when I'm fr- yeah. afraid. And, and part of it, it sounds like for you, was yoga allowed you to release that fear and also help people conquer theirs in a way to be able to say, like, I can teach you, I can help you, I can offer you something that I needed in a time where I was struggling as well. Do you get to create those types of relationships with your students? I do. So um, each class, we have some sort of intention. So that that would be something that we're working on that's outside of just the physical postures. For example, well, actually, one of them was finding happiness and understanding what happiness means to you. And so as we flow through the class, like first I'll share with them, like why, why I'm working on that personally. And then I will give, as we talk, as we go through the class, I get to say things like, you know, I just get to add little tidbits about happiness. And um, I do a lot a lot of like, I have a lot of similar themes that come up, like self-love, positive talking. Um, It's okay if, you know, wherever you are in this pose, you're, it's okay. Like this is where you are and just, just accept that, be content with where you are. Um, So acceptance is thematic uh, as well. I mean, that, that tracks, I I mean, it makes sense Mm -hmm. because you have to be willing to not only name it, but acknowledge it. Right. Totally. Yeah. So there's, so, so I get to work in a lot of the things that I've learned and it's a lot of fun, honestly, to, to do that. And usually at the end of class, I read a quote to them and just kind of wish them 
you know, the best in, in their venture of finding happiness or their venture of acceptance. And, um, it's cool because I, it's basically, I take them on the journey with me because I'm still, as we all are working on many things. And so when I need to work on something, I usually will theme my classes around it. I like that a lot. Yeah. And then I make it like, here's what I'm working on in my life. And now you guys come along with me. And that's why also the self-love stuff comes up time and time again, positive self-talk, because I know that that's a constant thing for me that I'm constantly working on. So there's like constant themes and there's like weekly themes. I really love how you are able to apply your own life and where you are in your journey to your yoga classes. It's something that definitely will open people up to things that maybe they haven't acknowledged yet or things that they're struggling with that they may not have had perspective on before. So that really makes me think about when you started yoga, you said, uh, I think was about three years ago. Is that right? Four. Four years ago. And when did you become an instructor? Was that two years ago? That was two years ago. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how did you actually navigate from deciding you wanted to just practice yoga to becoming an instructor because a lot of what you're talking about now is how you're able to apply it for yourself but also share that knowledge and and spread that wealth that comes to I think just my ultimate intention in life which is to teach there's nothing fills me with more joy than teaching other people so once I had discovered what yoga could do for me, I immediately wanted to teach people how to do it. (laughs) And, you know, when I started the program, when you start teacher programs, you don't necessarily need to want to be a teacher. You, You can also just want to deepen your practice. So I wasn't sure if I was going to actually teach, but I just needed to know more about yoga to see if I could do it. And, and, it's, it's really a, a special thing to be able to teach people. And it's different than my classroom teaching. So my classroom teaching, I'm teaching about history. But in my yoga classes, I get to teach not only the postures, but also I get to talk about some of the personal growth things, as you just mentioned, that I weave into my class. And so I think those two things, having having my passion through two different avenues has also really um, lit up my life as well. I, I mean, the way you described it and the way I think about my own way of being is it sounds like you've found your purpose. And that's a really amazing thing. I have definitely been on that quest. And the more that I explore myself and and my understanding of the world, the more clear it becomes to me that my purpose has always been to connect with people. And I I wonder if maybe that's part of why we've we've always had kind of a, just a good connection with each other is there's that innateness of of what that means for both of us because education for you and teaching other people is a way to connect with them and that's just something that inherently whether it would be teaching somebody something or having a conversation like this and and educating through shared stories is something that is just so meaningful and prominent in both of our lives and how we have created our personal views of the world and ourselves. So it's it's cool to just kind of see that reflected in how your life has unfolded and your purpose really shines through the work that you do. And and honestly, with this podcast is essentially what I'm trying to do. Like I'm trying to connect my purpose to something that I can I can really dive into and give my all to and do it on my time with my intention. And Mm -hmm. so it's been really enlightening to just hear you talk about that with so much passion around your story. Yeah. And it takes, it takes vulnerability going back to that, you know, that, that, and I think both of us have been willing to be vulnerable in conversations with each other in, you know, you starting this podcast, me going to do yoga teacher training. It, it, it goes back to that idea of just putting yourself out there and to see what happens and it could really fill your life. 
Yeah, I love that. And that resonates with me because I feel like that's my ultimate goal, too. At a broad stroke level, it feels like that should be everybody's goal. It goes back to your conversation about Aristotle. What does it mean to be happy? And for us to be happy requires giving and and seeing progress for other people. And it's just such a cool concept. And to be able to share that with you in this moment is really amazing. Yeah, thank you for saying that. For sure. I appreciate that. When you think about the work that you've done to become an instructor and going down that path. What's been the most inspirational moment that you've experienced as a yoga instructor? I I get to experience it pretty often, actually, because whenever I have my students go into tree pose, it's, it's amazing to see their focus. So tree pose, to just describe it, is one foot is on the inside of your other leg, and then your hands are either together at heart center, or you can have your hands outstretched, you can have your hands behind your back. So there's like a lot of different variations of tree pose. But there's also this intense amount of focus that has to happen during the pose. So And combined with the fact that I love this pose, it means it's just, it's my favorite pose. So when I see my students in tree pose with the focus that they have all, but doing it in different ways, it is like, for me, it's like, it's like the ultimate like metaphor for life. Like we're all, you know, we're all different, but we're all still, we still bring everything to the table, you know? So it's like, it's these moments. And I, I always joke with them, like, or not always, but sometimes when it's a particularly powerful one, when you can tell everybody's really in it, I say, I could leave you here all day. Like, <laughs> I, I just want to keep watching them in that pose. It's just, it's, it's so powerful. What makes it your favorite pose? I feel so connected. It's, it's like, so when you have one foot in the ground and I like to say or think of it as like you are a tree with roots in the ground. And I thought you might me, make that analogy. Yeah. I'm glad that you went there. <laughs> yeah, because it's it it helps me too. It goes back to the idea of like before I didn't feel connected to anything and now I feel like I actually have roots in the ground, you know, just in general. So there's that that feeling of connection and then also one of the things that I do in the pose is I close my eyes, which is really challenging, but it, it brings me it what, because I can stand up still with my eyes closed. It reminds me of how, how well I know myself and how introspective I am. And it's just a proud moment for me where I'm like, I can stand here with my eyes closed and still be upright. And, and it brings me a joy and a confidence about myself. Yeah, that's, so. that's a really beautiful answer. And do you feel like you're able in those moments to feel like you, you trust yourself in, intuitively? Yes. I almost prefer to have my eyes closed. And I have to, I talk, I, I have to talk to myself. I have to talk to my body about how to stay focused. And I, I like to have my eyes closed and have that conversation with myself with my eyes closed as opposed to with them open. Because when, when they're open, I'm thinking, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I'm in the moment, but I'm also, there's other things in the room that you can look at. Yeah, especially when I, when as an instructor, I imagine you're you're kind of thinking about how maybe you can help your students, I'm guessing, possibly. Oh, yeah. Well, I only close my eyes when it's my... Okay. I was uh, <laughs> I was like, that's cool. I don't know. <laughs> no, 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 no. I close my eyes when, when it's my practice, when I'm going through Gotcha. It, tracking when, now. Not when the students are... <laughs> <laughs> your students are saying, they're like, what's she doing? I have no idea. Is this right? Does this split. look right? <laughs> no. Oh, no. Um yeah, it's super powerful. It is such a spiritual experience to the way you describe it, being grounded in in your body and also that sensation of if I close my eyes and I can just be present in this moment because I'm, I'm paying attention to everything that's happening within me as opposed to the things happening around me. It's sort of the inversion of what you spoke about when you were explaining what it felt like to have a panic attack. And it feels so much more real and personal. And I just, I love that that's the juxtaposition that has come out through this conversation is such a beautiful uh, way of thinking about the two sides of it. Yeah, I love that. And I had not thought about that. I really like that. Well, it just came to me right now. So it worked out great. (laughs) 
<laughs> I had mentioned earlier that quote on your site from Brene Brown. And, and like I said, I really, I love her. She really resonates with me. I don't know if you're aware, but she also has a new podcast out. She and Glennon Doyle, if you haven't read any of her books or, or seen anything from her, she just wrote a book called Untamed. And what she talks about in Untamed is basically the topic of the podcast that she does with Brene Brown and conceptually, you know, that we we as people and especially as females need to unlearn what we spoke about earlier, certain expectations of ourselves in society and, and the way we speak to ourselves and the way we confront our demons and all of that stuff. Right. And so what she's able to articulate really is this this reality that we have these wild hearts and this desire to be who we truly are and we stifle it and we accept that we stifle it because we do it for other people and not for ourselves. And it's just, it's crazy. And so the quote on your site, which reads, owning our stories and loving ourselves through the process is the bravest thing we'll ever do. Talk to me about why you chose that quote and how it pertains to your journey of self-discovery since you started practicing yoga. What has changed for you? Wow, that quote, I mean, I ugh, I just love it so much. So the first part of it, owning our story is big. And I think that goes to taking on what you need to take on to be happy, right? So own it. What, what do you have to, what is wrong? And if you don't know what's wrong, figuring that out, right? So own it. Then also while you're owning it, loving yourself through it. So we have to be nice to ourselves. We're never, not never, but we're very rarely nice to ourselves. We, you know, we have to, and I know this is a saying that said a lot, but we have to do it. We have to treat ourselves like we're our own friends. I mean, we really have to do that. So loving yourself as you're owning your story is so important. And it's so brave to be able to own and take on these really difficult things to get to your happiness, right? So that's, that's like, that's life. And that's what's, it's going to be the best and bravest thing that you can do. Yeah. I, and it's, it's such a shame that it's so hard for us to fully grasp that. We've been trained as people to acknowledge certain things and stifle other things and that there is a protocol for how to feel our feelings and how to move through life while we're feeling those feelings. And the more that we look at ourselves with with purity instead of expectations, we have convinced ourselves that there is a way to live and that if we aren't following these rules or guidelines or meeting these expectations of other people, then we're not meeting our own expectations of ourselves. And what you said about owning our story after we've acknowledged it is probably the most important thing because it's really difficult to go through these moments where you feel in pain or isolated or just not who you want to be. And in a way, it's almost tragic, like that we have to sell ourselves on the goodness that we can provide to this world because we're convinced that if we are who we are in those moments, that people won't accept us or like us, which makes it hard for us to accept or like ourselves. Yeah. And I agree. We have to, we have to unlearn and we have to find a way to, to, to make this all normal, to make this the way that people think and accept themselves. I think the part for me that really hit that quote is the owning and the loving, putting your truth out there, and then also being on your own side about it. Yeah, I love that. Oh God, there was a quote that I heard the other day, and it really made me um, made me pause for a second. I think it was, "If you don't stand up for yourself, who will?" Something along those lines. And it's it's not like we haven't heard that before, right? For some reason, in that moment, it really struck me because it made me think about the fact that if we don't believe in ourselves, how can we expect anybody else to buy into it, right? And 
it's hard as hell. I hate the feeling of starting something new of, like I said before, possibly failing, worrying that people are going to like me. I've spent my whole life fearing rejection. Like I don't want to put Mm -hmm. myself out there and experience that pain. But the flip side of that is I don't put myself out there and I don't get to offer the world what I feel like I should be offering the world. So which matters more, your ego or your purpose? Mm -hmm. Such a good question. Aristotle 2.0. <laughs> exactly. There it is. There it is. And just it's a so little true. bit of hubris. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and we're never going to be able to get that that confidence if we don't speak to ourselves in a loving manner like yeah. we would a friend. Like it's it starts with like just being on our, our on our own sides just as we would be fiercely on a friend's side about something. Totally. I I 100% agree with that. So I think I've said this repeatedly over the past few episodes that I've recorded, but it does warrant repeating because each guest has provided a new perspective. As we navigate this unprecedented and extremely uh, trying time as a society, I imagine more and more people are coming to the realization that they suffer from anxiety. And whether it's short term or persistent, managing anxiety, as we've talked about throughout this entire episode, is a fundamental part of maintaining physical wellness as well as mental wellness. So I'd love to hear what you're doing to keep yourself grounded in the present when there's so much uncertainty about when we'll all get back to our, quote, normal lives and realizing that normal's not really going to be normal anymore. So I think as a history teacher first, I find comfort in just the stories of history, knowing that this is a part of the human experience. Has this ever happened exactly the way that it's happening now? No, but have people had to make sacrifices? Have we had difficult experiences as an entire world at the same time? Yes, we have. And have we gotten through that? Yes, we have. And and so knowing that it's a part of the human experience is the is the biggest thing for me. And almost like just the sacrifice piece, knowing that we can make sacrifices, actually, I think makes us stronger people. I mean, I think just in general, any sort of social engagement right now, right? I mean, we don't have these touch points that we're so used to having, but what we've done is managed to navigate that because of the technological abilities that we have. And so at a at a bigger level, right, it's just like, how does this fundamentally change how we engage as a society? And to your point, I, I really adore that you made the parallel between your job as a history teacher and the the rest of the conversation and, and this moment in time in particular with the global pandemic happening because it's something that is so relevant and important to pay attention to. It's very easy to get caught up in what's happening right now at this moment. And we've talked about being present and making that part of your practice. But when present, being present intersects with a very turbulent time for everybody on earth, it's, it's challenging to, to find that balance. And so looking at it through the lens of as society, we've been through something like this, many things like this before, not exactly like you said, but there is an opportunity to create the world that we want on the other side of this. And that's just an amazing opportunity for us. And it gets back to what you were saying is we need people to think this way. We need people to be more open-minded and kinder and softer, both with other people and especially themselves. Because I, I believe that if we are kinder to ourselves, we will absolutely be kinder to others. And that's just my hope for coming out of all of this is that we have a collective realization about how critical humanity is to mm-hmm. our personal well-being and looking at it less about who these people are versus who we are and more about who are we all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and to also tie in with my yoga teaching, it's about like the only thing you can control is yourself and your, your actions. So what is it that you can do in this moment? You can't like you, you can't solve the problems of the world. Um, it's really annoying. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, don't we wish, but we, we just can't, but you can do, we can do what's best 
for us and humanity, right? By, for example, staying home, right? There have been a couple times this week where I felt a little bit anxious and I'm like, okay, but Christina, what can you do? You are doing what you're supposed to do. You're staying at home. That was the job that you were given. So you have to do that. And so just being, coming back to the control of, of that. And, and again, also then saying, this isn't the first time humans have ever experienced a problem and we'll find a way to figure it out. And just remaining confident that we can get through it and, and being able to bring it back to ourselves and, and to each other in those moments, like you've been talking about the whole time. And I think you have a really great perspective on that. And I hope that our listeners uh, see that and, and let it resonate with them as well. So thank you so much, Christina, for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been awesome talking to you. And I am so excited to be able to have shared this conversation. Yeah, same. Thank you so much for thinking of me and having me on. Well, gang, that's all for this episode of the Who the Fuck podcast. A big thank you to Christina for sharing her story and her time. If you're interested in joining one of Christina's virtual yoga classes, you can do it from anywhere in the world. So visit her website at cmakittishyoga.com to sign up. Plus, don't forget to visit whothefck.com slash donate to support the cause selected by Christina, Yoga Foster, whose mission is to create space for educators and students to breathe through low-cost, comprehensive professional development and resources. And if you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to the Who the Fuck podcast on your preferred streaming platform. And if you have the time, share a little love and rate the show too. Until next time, 